All right, are y'all good? Okay, let's go over this. So, there's four points. We, we're using as a scripture John, uh, Luke 11, 14 through 24. And there's four points that we talked about that all, in a, in a nutshell, God gives us the four things we need to know about the kingdom of darkness. Number one, there is a kingdom, that Satan has a kingdom, and that kingdom's undivided. That's number one. Now, that's not the answer to number one. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. Number two is that, um, is that the enemy never comes at you at your strength. He always waits till he finds a place of weakness. Then he attacks there. Number three, I'm, I'm just telling you the four points right now. I'm not teaching, we're not doing this yet. We're fixing to. Number three is that the devil will always come back and probe to see if he can find a place in your life that you've allowed to be slack. So if, the, if, if, you're, if God has set you free from something, the devil will constantly come back and probe that to see if you've let, let yourself get lax in that, if, you just, if, you've let, if, you've let your, if you've let your guard down in that area. And if he finds that you have, the Bible says that that, that devil goes and he finds seven more devils more wicked than himself and he comes back and he inhabits that man and the last state of that man's worse than the first. So the devil will he's if if let's say let's say you got your healing from something. Let's say you got healed from something. The devil's going to probe that and probe that and probe that and probe that and one day he may find a spot where he can just throw a little pain right in there. And it's going to be up to you right then to say, "Oh no, in the name of Jesus, I'm healed and I don't receive that." Or you can say, oh, there it is again. I thought I was healed. There it is again. And when the devil finds that, guess what he does? He goes out and finds somebody, seven more people, and he comes, devils, and he comes back, and the last state of that thing that you had is going to be worse than the first. Now you'll have to have surgery or something on it. I'm just being honest. I mean, that's, that's the way this works. That's why we're teaching this. That's the way this works. And number four is... Um, Shoot, I'm teaching. Number four is. No, I don't. I should know this. I've been studying it. Number four is. Oh, yeah, that's right. Number four is he that he that's not gathering with me scatters. He who doesn't gather scatters. And what that means is you're either for God or you're for the devil. You can't be halfway for God. You can't be a quarter of the way for God. You can't be 99% of the way for God. You're either for God or you're for the devil. There's no, there's no middle ground. So now we're going to look at the test. So the four, you got, I gave you the four points. The kingdom of, of the devil is undivided. Number two, he never comes at strengths. He only comes at weaknesses. Number three, he will continually probe an area that God has healed, delivered, <clears throat> whatever, to see if he can find a place back in. And number four is if you're not gathering with God, then you're scattering with the devil. So here's the test. Number one, his method is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's the only way he plays this game. He doesn't halfway play it. He doesn't play it just to injure you. He comes in there with one purpose in mind, and he's undivided in that purpose, and that is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. 
The devil is the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince of the air. C. The devil can transport himself into an angel of light. He can transform himself into an angel of light, but he cannot live right, and by right I mean live holy. The devil can, he can be an angel of light, he can speak in tongues, he can do things that look godly, but when you look at his fruit, you find out that he can't live right and he can't tell the truth. If you want it to, uh, yours can count. So the devil can transform himself into an angel of light, but he can't live right or holy, and he can't tell the truth. Number D, the devil works with carnal lusts to gain control of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotion. He, every man is drawn away from God when he follows his carnal lusts, James tells us. Yeah, that'd be fine. Number E, number E, the devil is a liar. There's no truth in him, and he's a murderer without remorse. Huh? A dummy. <laughs> he's a liar with no truth in him, and he's a murderer without remorse. He doesn't care. It doesn't care that it rips your family apart and it sends your kids to hell. He could care less. He's a murderer without remorse. Number F, he actively seeks to destroy those weak in the faith. Huh? Pray on, destroy. C. Number G, the devil works to stop the hearing of God's word. It... it you're grading it. You're grading it if you want. Whatever you want. You can make 100 if you want to. You're grading it. Number H. Huh? G was, um, he stops, to, he works to stop the hearing of God's word. Number H. He works to sow discord in the church. Okay. Wreak havoc. You're grading it, whatever you want. <laughs> he works to cause confusion in the church. And remember, here's an important thing to remember. The devil never comes into a church unless he's wearing somebody's pants and somebody's skirt. He always works through somebody to cause that discord, confusion, or wreak havoc. All right, number I, the devil can oppress man, a power exercised for harm, exercise dominion over or to enslave, and he can possess a man if allowed, but he cannot possess a Christian. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. He can be demon-oppressed. You can be discouraged. You can be depressed. You can have oppression that the devil works to try to oppress your mind which means he influences your, your mind, your will, or your emotion. But the devil cannot possess a Christian because a Christian is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the devil can't get through that blood. Praise God. All right. J, 
The forces of evil will never come against a person when the person is strong. They will only come when evil has the advantage. The upper hand. Yeah, ne he'll never come at you in your strength. Upper hand's good. You're grading it. He'll never come at you in your, when you're strong. He'll always come at you when he has the advantage. And the, and the, the example we used for that is that Jesus was in the, uh, in the wilderness for 40 days. And in the book of Mark, it tells us through the words, were tempted, that he was tempted every day. The devil came at him every day of those 40 days, but he never found a place of weakness in Jesus until the 40th day came along and the Bible says that Jesus hungered. And whenever he found that place of hunger, the first thing he says is, turn these breads into stone. Turn these stones into bread. Yeah, the other way around. <laughs> turn this bread into stone and eat that. <laughs> Show us you're really the son of God. Anyway, <laughs> Turned these stones into bread. So he waited till he found a weakness, and then he exploited the weakness. That's what the devil does. Yeah, he hungered. Right. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, K, the kingdom of evil will never stop probing, looking for a place, looking for places that are clean but not spiritually occupied. Huh? Okay. Y'all are grading them. Whatever you want to put. Never stop searching. Uh, yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, look for a place that are clean but not spiritually occupied. What did, so what did Paul say about this? He said that I crucify myself how often? Daily. Daily. He crucifies those lusts of the flesh. Keeps them under subjection. Okay, L says, there is no place of compromise. You are either committed to God or you are for the forces of evil. No places of compromise. Yes, you're grading them. Whatever you want, to, yeah. Did everybody make 100? Good, 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 good. Committed. There is no place of compromise you are either committed to God or you are for the forces of evil. Sure. Sure. Good. There's no prize, but good. Huh? Committed. There's no place of compromise. You're either committed to God, servants would work, or you are for the forces of evil. So. Now, if this is... Just give one to up. What would you say? Serena, you need to come get these pencils. Oh, excuse me. You may have one of these from last week. This is the same one I had you had last week. So if you already had one, um, it, it's not, it's changed a little, but it hadn't changed that much. Just a little, little bit.
Tammy, did you make a hundred? Oh, look at you. Okay. So we're going to finish this tonight. Oh, did you? Oh, they may all have answers to the test. Oh, just yours? Do all of them do? Okay. There you go. Now you got the answers. You should have been here yesterday. <laughs> All right. Yes, ma'am? Huh? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the, 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 the fourth point is the one that has a four beside it. The fourth point is the one that has the four beside it. Just trying to help you out there, Christy. I mean, Tracy. <laughs> oh, we're still short? My goodness. <clears throat> okay. So we're going we're gonna to go to point number four. We've already recapped one through three right now. Yes, ma'am? Uh, I, I, I don't know how many is Gina's making. How many is Gina making? Four. So, okay, so we're going to go to point four, and we're going to finish this t study tonight, and then next week we're going we're gonna to start on something. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue the thought, but it's going to be in a different vein. Okay. So number four says there's no place for compromise. So if we go to, if we go to the book of Luke, that's where, our, that's, where our key, that's where our key verse is. We're going to go to the book of Luke. So open your Bibles here to the book of Luke. And we're reading from 14, I think it's 14 through 24. So and we're going to touch on the last point tonight. Remember, Satan kingdom undivided. The kingdom of devil will never come against you in your strength. And he will never stop his probing action all the rest of your life. He will probe to find, try to find a place unoccupied. And tonight we're going to talk about verses 23 and 24. And this is the final thing in this teaching on Jesus that Jesus has given us on the power of darkness. <clears throat> 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 23 and 24. Let's have a quick word of prayer as we're beginning here. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for your direction, your wisdom tonight, Lord. Help us, Almighty God, to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to us tonight, God. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your paper there on point number four, it says there's no place of compromise. Luke 20, 11, 23 says, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. And so there's the verse, there's our key verse there. If you're not with God, you're scattering. If you're not working for God, then you're working for the devil. There's no place of compromise. There's no middle ground. 
you're either for me or you're against me. So that's, it's that simple. And so if you, um, on your sheet here it says you're either confident and serving God or you're for the devil. So let's, let's look at a couple of examples to see if we can see what the Lord's talking about. So you're in Luke. Go back two books to the book of Matthew, and we're going to go to the parable chapter. Anybody remember what chapter that is? 13. And you did that without looking at your sheet. Chapter 13 is the parable chapter. We're going to go to the parable chapter, and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus talks about with the church. Matthew 30, 13, 31, and 32. Are you there? Okay. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, that's the church, the kingdom of heaven, is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in a field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So, um, if you look on your sheet, it says the organized church, which is what this is, would become a great institution, but birds of evil would be attracted to find its lodging in its fold. Does that make sense to you? If the church is a great institution, then how are the birds of evil getting in there? Well, the key to that parable is that it says the mustard plant grew up to be what? It, it, it grew up to be a tree. If, if you know anything about mustard, and I don't, but I have a book that does, it says that the mustard is a bush. And the only way you can make it into a tree is if it's an unnatural thing. If it's something that's been forced to become something that's unnatural. So this tree that Jesus is talking about is a great institution that's true, but it has allowed itself to compromise its beliefs in order to make itself a great tree. Now, if you keep reading here, let's go to, uh, let's, let's, go to um, let's continue here. It says, the voices of compromise and of seeker-friendly doctrines may serve to increase the size of a church, but it only serves to dilute the message and decrease the focus of the church. If you use methods to cause the church to grow that, are, that dilute the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if you stymie the work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, if someone down here comes for prayer and it gets a little loud and you tell them, oh, you need to go in a back room because we don't want to scare away our visitors, then you've diluted the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you, if you bring people down here and they start getting a little excited and they start doing a little dance or they start shouting and you come and tap them on the shoulder and say, can you do that in the foyer? You may cause the church to grow you may cause the church to get bigger because you've got it more seeker-friendly, but you've diluted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's not going to be long till you're going to have little birds in there that are beginning to sow discord among the, among the congregation, bringing in things that aren't right, and before long, you've got a church that don't know what it believes. They got no idea what the gospel of Christ is. All they know is we don't cuss and we don't chew and we don't run with those that do, but I don't know nothing else about what we believe. Why, why did that happen? Or if a church starts believing 
You know, when people start saying, oh, that's a great church. My God, that's just a, that's just a wonderful church. It's just growing and growing and growing. And it's just doing wonderful. And we're so, man, it's just such a great church. It's just growing and growing. And, and you start listening to that and you start saying, well, what can we do to make it better? What can we do to make it bigger? And you start, you start trying to, as a, as a pastor or leader, you start injecting ideas in there that are, that are worldly ideas, things that, that work. Yeah, it, it works. You, you get a bigger church. But I heard, a, I heard a guy say one time that there's lots of people who could have got more than eight people on the boat for Noah. We got a lot of preachers nowadays that could have filled that boat up. But the question is, when the rain started falling, would it float? Can you build it like God said it so that it'll float when the trouble comes? Because that's what happens. When the trouble comes, when the little birds start showing up, are you still able to keep what God has given you and press through, or do the little birds begin to destroy everything that's been built? So, there's no place for compromise. Um, here's the conditions. The book of 1 John was written in about 100 A.D., maybe a little before that, but John was on the Isle of Patmos till 98 A.D. An emperor came to power. His name was Nerva, for those of you that like history. His name was Nerva, and he's freed John from the Isle of Patmos, and John came back. He's, he's an old man. He's in his 90s. He goes to the city of Ephesus, and when he gets to Ephesus, he writes, he writes an epistle, 1 John, and the reason he writes it is fourfold. Number one, in 100 A.D., the thrill of being a Christian was gone, and it had become something of a habit. Number two, separation standards, holiness standards, people that, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't participate in things that would not please God. Those holiness standards had become a burden, and they were wearisome. Number three, men thought to improve Christianity and to make it intellectually acceptable. This illustrates how the kingdom of heaven's teachings and programs of God in this age would become corrupted by false doctrine and unscriptural programs until it was wholly corrupted. When did it become wholly corrupted? When did the gospel of Jesus Christ become wholly corrupted? When the Roman Catholic Church took it and began to make Christianity more a matter of money than a matter of following Jesus Christ. When the Roman Catholic Church rose to power in the Roman Empire under Constantine and the emperors that followed, it rose to power and no longer, no longer was it persecuted. Suddenly it became the end thing to do. Constantine lined up Roman legions. Do you know how big a legion is? A legion is about 6,000 men. And Constantine would, would line up legions and march them through a river and the Pope would stand over them, and he was baptizing them into Jesus Christ. Th that's 6,000. That's a Roman legion. That's, that's the kind of thing that started happening, and suddenly the church was no longer the thing that Jesus had left. It became the big mustard tree and corrupted. i got to move along. Um, all false teachings and professed Christian lives seek to hide behind the Word of God. All false teachings and Christian, professed Christian lives seek to hide behind the Word of God. A lot of ministries will have just enough of the Word of God to sound legit, 
But when you get into their doctrine and what they believe, you find out that it's false doctrine. But to the normal churchgoer, it sounds fine. And that's how people are deceived. Because they don't, they don't really know what the word is. They don't really understand how it all comes together. And if somebody stands up here and tells you that Jonah swallowed a well or the well swallowed Jonah, you don't have any idea if he's telling the truth or not. You just buy it hook, line, and seeker. And next thing you know, you're corrupted. You don't, you don't know what you believe anymore. Or better than that, there's a thing going around the world right now that you can live your life however you want as long as you've said the sinner's prayer and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And His grace is sufficient, and He forgives us for all our sins, past, present, and future. So just eat, drink, and be merry. Praise God. That's not Calvinism. That's, uh, that's in Pentecostal circles that's going around. That's a new thing. That's right. Is that, is that true? No, it's not true. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That's truth. But we're trying to build a big tree. Um, one other, another parable here in, in uh, the next six minutes. Another parable is 13.33. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now what is that telling me? Is leaven a good thing or a bad thing? Leaven is a bad thing. Leaven in Scripture always represents sin. It always does. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were to come out with unleavened bread. Leaven in Scripture always represents sin. So somebody here, a lady, she took a, a, a little bit of leaven and, healed it in and, and hid it in three measures of meal. And guess what that little bit of leaven did? It corrupted the whole thing. It made it all leavened. So, if you look on your sheet, um, leaven is defined as a sourdough, uh, seething or causing something to boil or seethe or rise as in fermentation. Everywhere in Scripture, the word zumi represents evil and typifies what does not belong originally, but penetrates and ferments the mass of dough. Now, I want to show you an example of this in Revelation. When, when, when you read, look at the churches in the book of Revelation, it represents the church age from the beginning to the end. So Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea represents the church age from the beginning to the end. And, and this is, you can find this in a lot of books. And some of them even give you the dates of whenever they think these things started and stopped. So I want you to look at something with me here. Let's go to the book of Revelation, which is in the back of your Bible. It's the last book. And let's go to chapter 2. I want to show you that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little, if you just leave something in your life and don't deal with it, if, if you just leave it in your life and don't deal with it, then if you're not careful, it'll permeate your life and it'll cause you to lose your, sense, you lose your anointing. You, I, I'm not going to say you lose your salvation. I'm not sure about that. But I do know this. It'll cause you to lose your anointing. It'll cause you to lose your testimony. It'll cause you to get careless and complacent. And, and I'm not saying that it'll send you to hell. But what I am saying is it'll make you worthless in the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying there? I'm not, am, am I being too cruel there? You can't, if God's convicting you of something, you can't play with that. 
You can't just say, well, it doesn't. It's, it's okay. It's just a little thing. It's a little bit of leaven. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to leaven the whole thing sooner or later. It'll get in there. I'm, I'm telling you. So let's, let's look at Revelation chapter 2. This is the church of Ephesus. This is, man, this was a, this is a great church. They just had one little problem. They lost their first love. So let's read Ephesus, uh, Revelations 2 verse 6. He tells them they lost their first love. So what happened when they lost their first love? Well, but thou hast this, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now the Nicolaitans is a, is a, is a, a, a doctrine that is containing fornication and all kind of different things, idolatry. Those are all in the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and you can read and find out what those doctrines are. But I want you to know this. They've got those deeds being discussed in that church. Now, they don't like them, but they've got them being discussed. They're talking about them. they got them as part of their conversation. They're not teaching them in a Sunday school, but they, they've got them in there. So these deeds are being discussed, and they're in that church because if it wasn't in the church, then they wouldn't be able to hate them. So they've got some people in there, maybe a little bit of going on, but, but it's not affecting the church. They, they hate that. They're dealing with it. And so God doesn't chastise them for that. He just says you've lost your first love. So then we go to the church of Smyrna. church of Smyrna has 10 sessions, 10 seasons of persecution. So God tries 10 times through persecution to get these people to deal with these deeds of the Nicolaitans and get it out of their life. But when we get to Pergamos, which is uh, 2.15, this is Pergamos, the church at Pergamos, it says, So thou hast all them also that hold the... That holds the what? The doctrine. Wait a minute. Now these deeds have become doctrines? What's happening here? That, that little bit of leaven that came in there as deeds, they wouldn't deal with it in 10, 10 seasons that God gave them to deal with it. And so now that little leaven that started out as a deed has now become what? A doctrine. Now they're embracing it some because now it's become the doctrine of the Lycolaitans. Let's go down to verse 19. This is Thyatira. I know thy works, thy charity, thy service, thy faith, thy patience, thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Do you see thy love in there anywhere? Do you see love in that verse? Do you see that that Thyatira church loved God? What did they emphasize? What's the first and last things they talk about? Works. Works. The Salvation Army was started by a guy named William Booth. You know what his motto was? Fire and blood. The fire of the Holy Ghost and the blood of Jesus Christ. He would go into the cities, into the, dark, the red light district of London, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had hit in the head with beer bottles. He had his clothes ripped. He had people come against him, but he started getting people saved. And those harlots and those drunkards that were getting saved down there in that part of London, when he tried to take them to churches, churches refused them. So he started his own church. He didn't want to, but he started his own church. And then eventually he started his own movement, and he called it the Salvation Army. And the, the fire and the blood of Jesus Christ was the motto of the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army in the 21st century, what's their motto? Doing the most good. No more fire, no more blood. We're doing the most good. 
Doing the most good. Doing the most good. Yes, ma'am. And I tried to, I tried to, I, I talked to a man from Salvation Army one time and I asked him, I said, so would y'all let me come over there and preach sometime at the Salvation Army thing? He said, oh no, we don't let anybody come preach if they're not Salvation Army people. Doing the most good. So what happened to the church at Ephesus? They went from having those little deeds just kind of show up, not dealing with them. They went to doing the most good. Now they're, now they're concerned more about their works than they are whether or not they love God. And in verse 20, uh, he says, I know thy works, thy charity. Thy, oh, yeah, I read, already read that. So um, we, we've got the deeds of the Nicolaitans working. Now in, the, in Thyatira, we've got idolatry showing up. Verse uh, 20, it says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffered that woman Jezebel. So who's Jezebel? She was the wife of Ahab. What was her, what was her claim to fame? She was the most idolatrous, wicked king's wife that there is in the Bible. She, she taught women, she taught women how to dress themselves to entice a man. That's one of the things she did. And at the end of her life, that's what she does. She dresses herself up in beautiful makeup and attires herself, and they throw her down from a tower, and it kills her. And whenever Jehu goes out there to, to bury her body, the only the dogs have eaten her a lot, eaten her, she was dead, but they've eaten her, but they've left two things from Jezebel. They left her hands and they left her feet. The rest of her's gone. So wicked. And now this church has become more about deeds than it is about God, and it's become wicked. Now it's accepting idolatry. Started out accepting the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now we're down to idolatry. Let's keep going. Chapter 3, we're almost there. Chapter 3, verse 1, And unto the angel of the church at Sardis write these things, saith he that has the seven spirits and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that you live, but you are dead. Dead. Now we got a church that's dead. They're doing a lot. They're doing the most good, but they're dead. There's no spirit of God there. There's no power of God there. They just accept everything and everybody, and we're more concerned about works and feeling good. We want everybody to feel good. Hallelujah. We're not going to preach the cross anymore. That might make you feel bad. We're not talking about blood. We're not a bloody gospel. We're not talking about hell. We don't want you to feel that pressure. We just want to feel good. And you're dead. So how does this thing end? Let's end it. 3, 15 through 20. This is the church of Laodicea. Are you with me? I know thy works. There you go. There's those works. That you're neither hot, cold, nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. And I have need of nothing. So what kind of church we got here? We got a church that's got money. They got all the paid staff that they want. They got the best praise team that money can buy. They got the finest lighting system. They got, they got the best sound system. They got the best everything. They got, a, they got a guy back there that can make this whole building dance and shout all by itself. They got the best of everything. They're rich. They're increased of goods, and they have need of nothing. But when God looks at them, he says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. 
When did this start? When they didn't, when they allowed the deeds of the Nicolaitans to stay in the church. That little bit of leaven started leaven in the whole lump. And when we get down to the end of this thing, at verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. Jesus is on the outside of that thing trying to get in. And what did it start with? The deeds of the Nicolaitans that became the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that became more concerned about works than it was about God that made the church dead. Now all they're concerned about is that they got money and they got people and they got education and that's all they care about. And God's on the outside trying to get into things. So, little leaven, leaven's a whole lump, and that's the last thing. So, there you go. Now you have the entire thing. Only available here for a short period of time. <laughs> for only $19.95, you can have this, including the tests and all the answers. <laughs> all right. Anybody have any questions or comments? All right, stand with me tonight. I'm still five minutes late. <laughs> we're going to start. A, we're going to start another section of this next week. That's going to be a lot more fun. So be sure and come back next week. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, Lord God, to study your Word. Thank you for your word, Almighty God, that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, O oh God. Help us to read your word, to hear your word, to know your word, to study your word, to be led and guided by your word, O oh God. Keep our feet straight, O oh God. Keep our lights lit, O oh God. And let your blessings be upon us in all that we say and do, that we may glorify God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray, God. Be with this congregation. Bless them and keep them safe, O oh God. Bring us back again at the appointed hour, Lord God. Bless our women's ministry Friday night, Lord God, and bless their meeting, Father. Bless our service Sunday morning. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. <laughs> women's ministry meeting Friday night, 6.30 at Ava Whitener's house. So if you're not sure where that's at, see Misty. She knows everything. She made 100 on the test, I'm sure. <laughs>